Welcome to episode 377 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. I realized that the way I said like 77 was like, it came out. I'm always trying to vary it up a little bit because if you've listened to 377 episodes, maybe you want a little bit of variety, variety of spice of life. I was just trying to switch it up. I feel like it was coming out like slow motion. And then I thought for all the people, our loved ones who listen to us at like two or three times speed, what it would be hilarious if we tried to speak slower. And then when they listened to it, it sounded like we were in real time. Yeah. I don't know how we would do that. <laughs> just like, I don't know how we would do that. <laughs> I really want to know how that sounded to somebody who is listening at something more than the regular speed. But I do know that there are loved ones who have reached out to us and either we've, we've spoken, this has happens rarely, but we've spoken in person or we've had a phone call and they said something like, I really can't listen to you right now because I'm used to hearing your voice at twice the speed <laughs> of what you're speaking yeah. right now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, um, I, every once in a while, for some reason, my podcast like app will default back to one X and I always feel like maybe I'm having a brain aneurysm or something or Painful. something is going on because it just sounds so weird to listen to podcasts at regular speed for me. So yeah, I, I would imagine it's a little bit different. Sometimes when I listen to the podcast, I don't always listen to our episodes back again. But when I listen to the podcast, it's hard for me to listen to because I know what your voice sounds like at regular speed. Right. Uh, I'm more familiar with your voice at regular speed than I am at like podcast speed. So yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to figure out how do we speak so that when we're speaking in a rate that when you listen to us at two times speed, it actually sounds like we're listening to one. Yeah. If we did a whole episode that way, we'd be recording for like two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. What would mathematically? That's exactly what it would be. Yeah. I love though that your interpretation of what it took to slow down was just NPR, like Terry Gross. Like, <laughs> no, this is the Reformed Brotherhood. Yeah. Like, you just got like really quiet, mellifluous, melodic, almost. It was almost like molasses in your voice. It was. It was nice. Maybe we should do that the whole time. Like, are you stressed right now? You want to hear about the armor of God? You want to put on the whole armor of God. It's like ASMR podcasting. I'll get really close to the microphone and I'll talk like this. <laughs> we should do our own reformed ASMR. That would be sometimes. Sometimes. So maybe this happens to you, Tony. Sometimes uh, the the microphone, or maybe this is more me, not the microphone. I should put on the mic. It grabs my beard. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that comes through, but I think the gate and the, and the editing, it all comes out. But I thought about like, maybe that'd be really great ASMR if like, it's just like, we're going to talk about beard strokes today. And it's just <laughs> me rubbing my face against the microphone because it has like a kind of pleasant, those strange yeah. sound. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes this is, this is the weirdest podcast intro we've ever done. Sometimes uh, I log on to our, our little Google meet that we use to record the podcast together beforehand. And I just rub my beard across the, like, I just hear my beard in my own headphones. It's very strange. Uh, uh, honestly, this is no lie because why would we? 
I did that before you arrived tonight because I was I was testing the mic. I know. And it's like, can I just do it right now and see if it comes Let's through? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, ready? Here we go. It's happening right now. Here we go. Yeah. See, yeah, I don't hear. I don't hear anything. Ah, it's your limit. Like, your limiter must be uh, must be pulling it out. Yeah. Well, so that lifts in. I'm so sorry, Woody. That was really disappointing. Here's what you could have expected for it to sound like: the most pleasant, small crackling fire. You know, like <laughs> just the kind of thing that would relax you on like a really cold day as you had a nice cup of uh, hot cocoa. So, anyway, aside from like all this good stuff, which is free of charge because honestly the whole podcast is we are going to be getting back into this whole just very nascent series about the armor of god we'll talk about on this episode what it means to take up this armor of god what it means to allow this armor to defend against the evil one but of course before we do that affirmations denials we're already four minutes in all right, Tony, what do you got? Let's do denials first. We'll end on the high note. What are you denying against? Well, so this is kind of a weird denial because it's almost like a hypothetical denial. I'm denying social media. And in the past when I've denied social media, it's because I've been sucked back into social media and I'm trying yeah. to get back out. That hasn't happened this time. But I was actually talking to a coworker the other day that was like, man, I hate social media. I should really just get off social media. And I was able to say to him like, yeah, it's the best. It's the best to not be on social media. Mm. So I, I'm not one of those people that's going to be like, you can't be on social media. Social media is the worst. If it's useful to you, if it's profitable to you, if, if anything is true, if anything's noble, all that Pauline Philippians 4.8 stuff, fine, go ahead. If, if you think it's useful to you, then then stay on social media. I can't conceptualize anyone who can honestly say in their in their actual life, social media has been like a spiritual benefit or like a social benefit to them. Um, all of the studies are showing it's it's just bad for you. It's bad for your health. It's bad for your soul. So I'm just denying social media. I, I realized, because what's funny is a lot of times if, you, if you're one of those people who's been on social media and then you, you sort of like disconnect and get off social media, when someone starts to talk about social media, it's that's why it feels like an addiction is like, they start to talk about it and you might think like, oh yeah, I used to be on social media and it was so terrible. And then you're like, I really want to check my Facebook, even though I haven't yeah, been logged in for right. like six months. I didn't have that feeling when I was talking to him. So that doesn't mean I'll never go back on social media. I'll never check my Facebook again or whatever, but it, it's so like, I don't know, it's so soul draining. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Like there's really no major benefit to, traditional social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, whatever it happens to be called this week, as I think it's called X, it's just a letter now. Um, it really doesn't have much of a benefit that I've seen. So if you're like the 1% that is able to actually derive some sort of benefit from your, your social media profiles, then fine, go ahead. But if you're not, if you're in the, the majority of people, I would really strongly uh, encourage you to consider just shutting it off. Like don't, there's no gimmick. There's no plan. Just like log out and don't look back. Um, yeah. it's harder to do than it is to say, I totally get that. But I think probably one of the best things that I've done, uh, for my soul in the last year is really, really just get off social media. Um, it just has been really beneficial so much so that like I feel lighter and I didn't always realize why. And a lot of it is like when I pick up my phone and I, I feel, I don't really feel that urge to check my social media anymore. And that's like a really freeing thing. So 
I'm just denying social media, everything it represents, everything it is. It really is designed to be like a casino where you just like catch yeah, your attention. Sure. It's like pulling the slot, the slot machine arm. Um, and it really is not all that much benefit to most people. Even people who have like an online, like a blog or a podcast, we, we don't have a footprint on Facebook or Twitter. That's and true. I've not ever seen any real detriment to that. We didn't lose a bunch of followers. We didn't see our downloads decrease in any substantial way. Um, it just, it's not as vital to everything as, as it seems like it is when you, when you first think about it. I'm going to join you in this denial. I think it's really great. I think you're right in a bunch of ways. One is that for most people, it's not particularly helpful. I think there was a time when I had like dipped my toe into social media and then thought in leaving it, like I would somehow become less involved or aware of what's going on in the world. That's actually surprisingly not been the case at all. And I do know there are people, even in my own profession, that make this like really strong case for, well, it's a great way to network and but those people who do that have like these, they're really disciplined in how they use it. So they have like particular lists that they subscribe to, for instance, on like X, or they just remove themselves from the drama, the misunderstanding, the constant vitriol and palmic language that is sometimes part and parcel of hot button topics on social media. So I think there is maybe a, a presumably a way where you could use yeah. it to like, where if you don't get caught up in comparing yourself to others or feeling like you're constantly being involved in debates or saying like there's somebody wrong in the internet and I have to deal with them right now. All More power to you. But one could even argue that like go spend some more time with your family, read a book, read the Bible, spend yeah. some time in prayer. Like I suppose we could say that about any number of things, but just like anything that might be addictive and that could be like sugar or alcohol, social media does. We should just be pragmatic about the fact that it has addictive properties yeah, and that these apps in particular leverage those properties and are particularly designed that way. So you have to go in with eyes wide open. I suppose in so much as you do that and you can redeem them, fine. But I would argue, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, that that takes an enormous amount of effort and energy. So you just need to be prepared that it needs to come with significant investment. And I think one could argue, is the investment worth it? Is that juice worth the squeeze when it comes to social media? Yeah, the answer is no in almost every circumstance. <laughs> and so this this is where like this is maybe like one of your favorite phrases like the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Yeah. So like the reason I started thinking about this is someone in our Telegram chat posted a link to um like the most one of the most recent episodes of the dividing line with James White. And another person uh, who's not in our Telegram chat sent me a, a message. I mean, I'm still on like Facebook Messenger. It's basically just text messaging. Sent me a message like, what do you think about James White's newest episode? And I was like, it was like that meme from uh, Mad Men where I was like, I don't think about you at all. And I don't I th like James White just happens to be the person involved in this particular yeah. situation. But like... Right. The fact that I was totally unaware that apparently James White said something outlandish, apparently something controversial happened, and I had no idea. I had no desire to respond to it. I couldn't even muster up the uh, the angst or whatever you want to call it to even like go download the episode and listen to it. And some people might look at that and be like, well, you don't really care. And I was like, yeah, I don't really care. And that's like <laughs> the main benefit is like... yes. And I'm not just bagging on James White's ministry. Like Alpha and Omega ministry has done a lot of great things. Yes, there's lots of theological disagreements. James White is a Christian brother. I I 
hope him the best. I wish him the best. But like, I don't really care what some dude in Arizona is saying on the internet right now. Mm. And like, if there was a book published or a major journal article published that was something worth responding to, then maybe I would devote the energy into researching the article and getting, you know, doing all my work. But this constant, like, I'm just going to like tit for tat react to somebody on Twitter or like even... Even like the reactionary podcast cycle that sometimes happens. And there's been times when we get into that. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with like listening to something that's controversial and responding to it. We're probably going to have that happen at some point again in the future. But it can be so exhausting to be on this like treadmill of constantly having to respond, constantly having to fight and like argue against something. Um, again, there there's a place for people who do that. And there's a place for polemics and polemic ministries. But that is not most people. It's certainly not me anymore. Maybe it was at some point and maybe it will be again. But right now in my life, absolutely is not. I have zero, zero loss in my life by the fact that I did not hear anything about what James White said and am not perturbed at all by it. I don't even care enough to go download the episode and listen to it at three times speed. So that's not a that's not a slam on the people who are concerned with that. Again, the person who posted in our in our Telegram chat was very concerned about this, and that's fine. Like it's totally fine to be concerned and invest your energy in that. I would just ask the question for most of us, is it better for us to invest our energy into our local church and into things that are going on in our local community? Right, right on. If you look around, there are heretics in your local community, right? There's probably a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall or a Mormon Tabernacle or even just a, like another group of Christians that you could start to have dialogues with that teach something that isn't what the Bible teaches. Are you going to invest your time and energy into that? Or are you going to invest your time and energy into like some dude who lives in another state in another time zone? Right on. Right? Most of us are never going to have the footprint online to actually like make a dent in what's going on with like major figures like James White. Um, And I say that as someone who has obviously devoted a lot of time to responding to things like that. We have multiple episodes of me responding to things Owen Strahan said and James White. I mean, that's, that's part of our background and it may be again at some point, but I just don't think that for most of us, that's a super worthwhile way to spend our time. And that's what social media has wrought in most of our lives is this feeling that that dude over there on some random corner of the internet is worth my effort and time to devote a reaction and a response to it just isn't true for most of us. Right. Yeah. I think that's fair. Like let's end this one this way. And I'm curious for your honest opinion on this, because I know it does happen, but I'm curious about essentially the percentages here. What you've engaged many people. We, if you've been on the internet, you've engaged people. If you're in theological circles, you've engaged people over theological matters. And like you said, sometimes that comes with debating either well or not so well a particular issue. What percentage of the time would you say in your interactions, let's say you've had a conversation with somebody and you said, no, no, I, I believe scripture teaches it this way. What percentage of the time has somebody said to you, okay, I hear you and I'm changing my perspective and I hear what you said and, and that's fine. I would say it happens more than you'd think, but not in public. So I can I can think of specific people where my interactions with them 
have either I've changed my understanding and position or they've changed their understanding and position. But those conversations typically are not happening in public forums. So I can think of one person specifically, I'm not going to say his name, but I can think of one person specifically who we had lots and lots of conversations. And when we were having public conversations, they were very aggressive and sort of, sort of like adversarial. And one of us, I don't remember who it was actually made the decision to message the other person privately to say, let's just really talk through this. And it doesn't, it's not super important in that case, their position changed to move more towards mine. But there's been times where my position has moved more towards this. And I've shared this story before. Um, I used to hold a very traditional evangelical view on the second commandment. And, and I remember the first time that I encountered, um, I encountered, actually, I can remember specifically the, the specific thread that it was in that I encountered the traditional reform perspective, uh, Westminster perspective on images of Christ. And it was, it was a, an interaction with Nick, Nick Batsig, who used to be part of the reform forum. Yeah. And I remember making all of the same arguments that people make against it on his, on his Facebook post. And he messaged me privately to just say, I really think you should think through this a little bit more brother, because this is not a new, this isn't some new internet teaching. This is the historic reform position. And that, that interaction, that private interaction is what helped me to start to move towards that perspective. It caused me to have to actually grapple with this person believes this enough, not just to spout it off in a public group, but to actually like message me and have a direct conversation about it. So that's not to say, again, it's not to say there's zero utility in Facebook or Twitter, that there's not some conceivable way that it could be useful. I just don't think for most of us that that actually plays out in like real life. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm with you on that. I would say, like from my perspective, even if I'm charitable, so let's say that those discussions result in some kind of private activity, which again the world mostly doesn't see. So, for those who are just witnessing the whole interaction online, dislocated from maybe behind the scenes, they see no acquiescence. They see no kind of resolution there. I would say I'm charitable, even when we count the behind the scenes. In my own life, maybe 20% of the time, oh, you're yeah, seeing somebody is- say like in the reaction, and I think that's being generous. Yeah. So all this says to me, 80% of the time, you're going to be insanely frustrated. And not only that, but probably the pain of sensing that somebody's not listening to you is even greater than the time that somebody says, I've heard what you say. And yeah, I see your point. And I'm, I'm willing to change my perspective on that. So in other words, like the pain being double the gain you're well worse off, I think, to your point. Yeah. So it's just like most of, these, most of these mediums, can we be honest, are not really great for the kind of conversation we want to have when it comes to like these really deep issues. And it would be better, I think we've made this argument before, like, yeah, send that private email, see if you can get a phone call, see if you can just show up at James White's house and just have <laughs> the conversation, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I'm going to leave <laughs> that there. I'm going to leave that there. To now. That's, That's what, what we're promulgating now. now is just go, go on where James White lives. Yes. And just have a conversation with I him. I do not but, know where he lives, so I will not be either vertently or inadvertently doxing him today. But yeah, <laughs> I think I think sending an email or making a phone call and having a real conversation. Um, I, I, I won't make any specific connections, but there's been, there's been a number of times... Uh, a greater than zero number of times where I've, I've had some sort of conflict with someone on the internet that has had to move into 
like a phone call or a direct yeah. email to someone's elders or whatever. Um, I've been involved in those enough times to know that had the interaction just started as that direct conversation, then that whatever that escalated step was probably would not have been necessary. Right on. Um, if I had if I had taken the time to simply email said public figure and ask them about their theology or to bring a thoughtful critique. Uh, if I had just emailed them or sent a direct message rather than publicly lambasting them. Um, again, it's not to say that there's not a place for public critique of publicly made statements. All of that's true. But I think for most of us, that's just not really the most fruitful way to go about our lives. Right on. I agree with you. You know, I wanted to come alongside and join you in this denial because I thought it's really good. I didn't anticipate we're going this direction, but in some ways I thought I was going to be expedient. Somehow I only just threw more gasoline on this fire. No, of course And, and here we are. So we let's roll. move expeditiously if we can on to affirmations. What are you affirming with on this episode? So I'm not sure I would call this an affirmation because it's a little bit self, potentially self-serving, but one of the things that I'm, I'm trying to do as we go through this, um, this armor of God series is to do a little bit of writing. I mentioned this on a previous episode, though, one of the things I want to get back to in 2024 is some writing. So one of the things I'm doing uh, in order to, for my own preparation for the episodes, is I'm actually writing up kind of like a, a basic commentary set for these. So I'm reading commentaries, I'm reading other people's works, but I'm writing my own commentary on this um, just to think through it. So if you go to reformedarsenal.com, um, I've started to do that with the passages we're going to approach on this. So the the one for this evening is already uh, is already done. It's available reformedarsenal.com. It should be the most recent um, article when you get there. But I would encourage you to check it out because one of the things that I think we do really well on this podcast is we talk through the issues. One of the things that I don't I wouldn't say we don't do well but is not a main part of our conversation is some of the more exegetical background work and just the basic explanation of the text. We tend to, we tend to, um, we tend to start with more theologizing than we do like basic explanation. So I'm trying to do some of that work ahead of time and I wanted to sort of show my work. So if you go to reformedarsenal.com, you can see some of that in real time as we go. That's not, like That's I said, it's not really an affirmation. It's more like, uh, hey, check this out, this thing I'm doing. But um, Advertisement. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's an advertisement <laughs> in the masquerading as a, an affirmation. I love it, though. And in case anybody's wondering, I have written zero commentary <laughs> on this episode or any episode or any scripture that we've ever talked about. But I think it's good. Honestly, there might be embedded in that, this affirmation, if I can like maybe presume a little bit that that's not a bad activity for anybody to undertake as they're kind of journaling through the scriptures to try to yeah. write for themselves, even if it's just to recapitulate or summarize in their own words, what it is that they believe that they're reading and processing. So, and you're, you're kind of doing that by gathering different resources, but also bringing it together in a way that is cohesive for you, not your interpretation of yeah. what you think it means to you, but you're letting the scripture read you and also trying to inform what it is that God is saying in the context of what he has provided to his people. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm doing this with some Greek, um, some Greek, I won't say mastery, but some Greek competency under my belt. And that influences the way that I'm doing this, but it very easily could be somebody who's taking a, a reliable English translation and breaking it up kind of phrase by phrase and word by word. And that's what I would really encourage you to do as you're looking at the scriptures is 
we affirm that the scriptures are God breathed and they're, they're God breathed, not just in their concepts, but in their very words. So it's important for us to sort of like take the scriptures, chunk them up word by word, phrase by phrase and understand how do the words relate to each other? What do they mean? And that's really what I'm trying to get after with some of the way that I'm doing these commentaries. So check it out. If you have a few minutes, um, I, it's not like you have to in order to understand what's going on in the episode, but it, it might actually give you some flavor text in terms of my own thought process as we approach this. If you take a look at that either after the episode or during the episode or whatever. That's fantastic. And again, of course, we're going to be going through, this is somewhat different than what we've done in the most recent past where we're actually going through verse by verse right. in this part of the scripture. So tag along, come along, read the passage, meditate, get a sense of what's going on there and maybe do a little bit of your own journaling. And then you can go to reformedarsenal.com and check out all the great writing that happens there. That website is a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> I don't know if there's a lot of great writing. There hasn't even been a lot of actual just plain old writing for a long time. Uh, so actually, it felt really good to like publish an article. It hasn't. It's been a really long time since I published an article. So I'm hoping to actually get into a, a sort of regular routine again with that. I love it. Well, people can go track you there and find out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. What are you uh, affirming today, Jesse? I'm going to keep this really quick. But at first, let me start with a question. I, I'm going to presume, maybe this is unfair, but the listener can ask or answer this question for themselves. They can ask it of themselves. You put together like Lego before, yes? I mean, oh, Mike, yeah, did you have a Lego as a child? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of yeah. Legos. I mean, did you like Lego? Yeah. Yeah. I love Legos. I want to go I buy like Legos right now. With the question. Yeah, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't like Legos. It's almost like a dumb question. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, well, you'll see where I'm going with this. <laughs> How dare just, you? Just you're, yeah, you're, no, 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 you're right. Because like uh, my parents were very generous. I, I had a ton of Lego growing up. Lego is like fan, fantastic. Um, it's amazing. So my wife is a puzzler. She loves puzzles. And she's the kind of person that like infuriatingly can look at all these pieces of a puzzle, cast aside, some on top of each other, some you know, like barely exposed and snipe out that piece that she's looking for and yeah. immediately in her mind, like conceive of its orientation and then put it down and fit it perfectly without error. It's infuriating. This is why, in part, I don't, why I don't do puzzles. She's so good at puzzles. She also finds these things like relaxing. I find them to be stressful because like, just keep it together. Don't ter- tear it apart. So uh, for her birthday this past year, which was, we're recording what, this is like the 14th of January. Yeah. Her birthday was actually in August on the 14th. And uh, I got her a Lego set. Now she, like you as a Marvel fan, I got her this, what I thought would be super fun. It was like a Captain America, like, I guess, figurine. Like, it's like a yeah. built, like, movable, posable set. Okay. So that was in August. It's now January. It only just got open today. And I, it was for no reason in particular. I get, I don't know if she was saving it or time just to lose herself. So she happened to come home from church. And for whatever reason, she was struck by, I should do this, this thing right now. And I was like, this is fantastic. So she opens up the box. And there's bags of these beautiful Lego pieces. And she goes to the book and she opens the book and she says to me, there are no words in this book. How am I supposed (laughs) to put this together? Which prompted me to say, my word, have you never done Lego before? And she said, no, I've never owned a single Lego set. I've never done Lego. So I'm affirming, I just had the joy this afternoon to watch my wife do Lego for the first time ever. And it was 
amazing. <laughs> I like it rekindled in me all the joy of having to do this for the first time. But like seeing her go through and being like, "Oh, this piece isn't in here. There's no way this piece is in here." And then then she's like, "Oh, never mind. Here it is." You know, like and all this joy of like figuring out, like turning it over in your hand, and then seeing the final creation. So at the end, I was like, "Did you like it?" And she was like, "I loved it. Yeah. It was awesome." And I was like. Yeah, because Lego is the better puzzle. Like it's the original yeah. puzzle, like the, not the original puzzle. It's the most amazing puzzle. So yeah. I'm affirming, I guess, with Lego. And I know that nowadays, like we watched, do you guys ever see that show, uh, Lego Masters? Where like, mm. oh my goodness, that's an amazing reality te television show where it's like just teams of two being challenged to put together like these amazing Lego things. But like Lego is an incredible thing. Incredible to do with loved ones, incredible to do with children, like the creativity. So yeah, she built this amazing captain america figure and it's super cool and she's gonna take it to work and i don't know like even now i feel like i'm gushing because i'm so proud of her even though she's in her 30s and she just she put together like there were times when she was working on it and she was like yeah i don't think this is right she's like i think I'm just, right, this this piece yeah i'm not seeing this piece definitely not here and i was like hey uh what is this box suitable for and she's like eight and older <laughs> i just remember that I don't think I've ever put together a Lego kit and not had that feeling at some point of like, I know this never happens, but I, I'm the one in a hundred people where like a piece is actually just didn't get put in the box. Every single time you put together a kit, it feels like that. That's great. Now, I, you know, I can't wait until Augie is old enough to put together Lego models now that I think about it. Uh, it's, it's super fun. I remember my father playing with me with Legos like, yeah. It's it really is an amazing thing. So maybe it's a double affirmation. Legos, I was just such an amazing thing to like serendipitously stumble upon the fact that my wife had never owned, she'd never been given Legos, she'd never done Legos before, and yet she loves puzzles. And so when she opened that book up and was like, There's no written instructions in here, I was like, I what did you think was gonna happen here? Like there's gonna be like a documented like bullet point, like step, you know, 56B would be like, you know, take the two by one and that would be put terrible. It on top of, yeah. It that would was, rob all the joy out of putting together a Lego model. Yeah. So what was the best I would say is like, I think if you've done Legos before you get this, it's not common language, but you kind of like understand like plates and pieces yeah. to her because she never experienced it before. She was saying things like, I'm looking for like the, the gray ramp, the rampy thing. Or she was like, uh, oh, there's a bridge piece. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that's not what that is. <laughs> but like to her, it just made sense to describe all these things. And it was, again, maybe this is the joy of seeing somebody experience something that you love. Maybe you've forgotten your love for, for the very first time without any context. And that's how it was. She literally opened this box and she was like, oh, there's multiple bags. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty normal. Like they're all numbered. You just like, and then she tore open the bag. She's like, oh, there's like a lot of pieces in here. And I was like, well, yeah, it's, it's like, what, 310 pieces in this thing? It's like, that's a pretty normal set. And, you know, then she's going through and being like, well, there's no words. And then, you know, oh, there's like, like there was like um, a joining of joints, like where the, the literally the arm connects to the body or the torso. And uh, she was like, oh, there are action lines here. And I was like, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, look, like it's, it shows like you're kind of like, like these lines shooting out from like the pieces to show they're joining together. And I was like, I love you so much. This is amazing. <laughs> amazing experience. So, I mean, in some ways, like putting together Lego, I guess is not unlike putting together like the armor of God, so to speak. There's got to be like a Lego set. <laughs> and I know there's like a play school or play time set, I think, right? Of like probably the armor of God. Yeah. So in that way, it's of course the perfect, the perfect segue. So don't think about it too much. Just everybody enjoy it. That was the perfect segue. And we're hanging out in Ephesians chapter six, 
which is where this armor is described. And basically in the last episode, we just started to so go back there. You're not too far behind if you're just hearing this for the first time. We started with kind of some prolegomena about what this all means. But let me just go through a couple of verses here because I think we're going to end up in chapter 6, verse 13 today. So beginning of verse 10, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So we're going to settle in on that verse 13. We already talked a little bit about how this armor is, of course, for this spiritual realm, this battle that is very real, that's ever present. We're looking at you, Frank Peretti. But let's talk about what it means then to take up and to put on, to resist, and to stand firm. We got like all kinds of verbs in verse 13. So where would you like to begin? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've been reading through Gurnall's work. Gurnall? Gunnell? Gurnall? The Christian and whole, uh, the Christian complete armor. Um, and one of the things that surprised me about his treatment of this passage, this particular verse, is he spends a lot of his time talking about basically like how not to be a backslider. Yeah. Um, and, and that surprised me a little bit. But when you really think about what Paul is getting at here, you know, in verses 10 through, um, through 12, he sort of establishes like, this is the the nature of the battle, right? It's a spiritual battle. It's, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against these rulers, these authorities. It's against the present darkness. It's against these spiritual forces. And then that's where this word therefore comes in, right? So the whole passage is basically saying like, now the last thing I'm going to tell you, which is usually in a letter like this, the last thing he's going to tell you is the most important thing or one of the most important things. But he says, like, you've got to take up the armor of God because this is a spiritual battle. And then he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God in order that you might withstand the the in the evil day, right? And I think one of the things that as I was studying that struck me is um, the way that the ESV translate this is that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And that word withstand actually is not a not a great translation from what I see, because it gives you this idea that it's like we're just we're just like uh, we're just buckling down, right? We're just buckling down, and hopefully, like we'll weather the storm. And it's about like it's about sort of being durable enough to make it through the storm, to make it through the battle. And that word withstand in the, in the original is really much more of an active verb. It's about actually going on the offensive. And I think that's something we miss in a lot of a lot of common interpretations of this passage, a lot of the what we hear preached and taught is that really we are about as a people of God, we are about gaining ground. Right? I'm going to sound like super like theonomist post mill here and I'm not, but we shouldn't just be trying to weather the storm. And that's the the language that Paul is using here is far more active. It's about being prepared for, in many ways, for like a war of aggression against spiritual forces. It's not just about not losing ground. It's actually about gaining ground in this spiritual battle that we're in. And that that I think is the main thrust of this 
passage is it's not just, and when we get down to the end of it, I think that'll become more clear. It's not just about um, not getting beaten down by the devil, although that's certainly a part of it. Like a lot of this is about how do we defend ourselves against the assaults of Satan? But right. the, the, the passage really as a whole is more along the lines of what do we do to gain ground in this spiritual battle that we're in? And we'll find out that it's all about these different pieces. We'll go through the thing, the details. But I've even heard it preached that like all of these are defensive. They're defensive elements of your armor, right? They're all defensive. Even the sword of the spirit is defensive. It's a particular kind of sword that's used in defense, not offense. I'm not sure that I buy that, especially given this context that these are these are um, these are instruments of war that God gives us in order to right. be able to take a stand against the devil. That might be a better might be a better way to translate it. To take a stand in the evil day or in the day of evil. It's not just about like you're going to make it through. You got to make it through. So you got to be durable enough to make it through. So put on this armor so that you don't get too beat up in the evil day. It's not really about that. It's about setting our position. It's about having the right equipment and tactics to be able to withstand this evil force, this, this spiritual darkness that we're facing and to be able to make progress. Yeah, I think that's right on. It's one of those classic examples where the best defense is offense. Exactly, and yeah. it's cliche only because in this case, it's very true. So you can think of, even let's say if you are a great army, that's being attacked doesn't that army desire to win? And so therefore its goal is not just to sit and take the blows, but to reciprocate, to fight back, right. to be able to come against the enemy with its own equal, opposite, contrary, and hopefully overpowering force. So I think that starts, and this is key in like all these verbs that we just talked about, this idea that there is take up the full armor of God, which of course is reminiscent of Christ saying, take up the cross and follow right. me. So there is something here that is volitional, in so much as Christ himself empowers that through the Holy Spirit, we're saying that there is a decision to volitionally put on this armor. It's not like David sitting in front of Saul being thrown on all this ill-fitting right. equipment and then hoping that somehow that's going to allow him to survive, like you said, the battle. Here, that it is an imperative, go and take up the full armor of God so that, like my translation on my website, which doesn't exist, which is something like, if you want some, come and get some. Yeah. You know, that's like the approach here is that you are being thoroughly equipped with all of the authority and the protection, Christ's own perfect clothing, which is a divine gift, but does require you to suit up. And in that suiting up, you're making a statement and a commitment to move forward, to push the gospel forward in the world even as the devil attempts to oppose you. Because I think also we kid ourselves if we think that like in every situation as we're just like maybe being super lax and chilling in our world that the devil is up against us. You know, like in every case, like if you're doing nothing for the gospel, who cares? Yeah. So like what, what this is saying is like, it presumes that you are desiring to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow him closely, to make sacrifice to go out into the world and to bring light, light into dark places. And because of that, you will therefore be opposed. Somebody will come for you. You will have a target and you will need to fight. And therefore, Paul says, take up the armor because that is legitimately what ought to be expected of somebody who is desirous to come and to serve God wholeheartedly 
and to bring that mission forward. But the person that's like chilling on the sidelines, the wallflower, totally unnecessary. Like why would that person need to take up the armor if they haven't even found their way to the battle line? And so this presumes that we're already there or crossing over into enemy territory. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing that I sometimes um, run into or have run into in the past with this passage and hearing how it's preached and taught is this phrase in the evil day. Um, I've often heard that like pushed out into the future. Like mm. it, like this passage is about being ready for something that's coming in the future. I, I just don't really think that that's justifiable from the text. Like we're in the evil day right now. Right like on. there probably is some element of um, conceptually. There's an element of like a, a final definitive battle that's coming. Right. It's not just in um, in the evil day. It's like the day of evil, and that's I think probably an intentional parallel to the phrase like the day of the Lord. There, there's a there's a way that Greek Greek sort of like constructs things, and this is not just like evil is not just a an adjective to describe like a particular day. This is referring to a specific thing, but it's, it's not just about being ready for some future event that's going to happen. It's about recognizing that the second that we, uh, let, let me put it this way. You're either the seed of the serpent or you're the seed of the woman or the seed right. of the, the, um, of yeah, the seed of the woman. Right. And, and you're either, you're either going to be, um, on God's side, you know, or you're going to be on Satan's side. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no neutral actors. And the second that we, uh, we come to Christ, uh, like there's that old, like Sunday school song, like I'm in the Lord's army, right? Like we, we join the Lord's army and we can either do that taking up the whole armor of God Right, and we do that taking up the whole armor of God. Uh, this, in in many ways, this is almost like the question of like baptism in the Spirit, right? Yes. There's yeah, no Christian. Right. There really is no Christian that hasn't taken up the whole armor of God, and, right. and we do that to uh, subjectively to greater or lesser degrees, right? Just like um, we experience the presence and the activity of the Spirit in our lives to greater or lesser degrees subjectively, that doesn't mean that the spirit is somehow less present in the life of a Christian who's not experiencing it subjectively. But we we are in the battle. We, we are in the evil day. And so we have to take up the armor of God, which is all of the different things we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. We have to take that up. And this is the key to this, I think. When you look at this text in the Greek, so mini Greek lesson here. In English, most tenses or most uh, verbs are locked into like a specific temporal frame. And when you're first studying Greek, that's how you translate Greek, right? There's present tense, there's past tense, there's different kinds of past tense, there's a future tense. When you progress into higher levels of Greek, you start to talk about something called aspect, verbal aspect rather than verbal tense. And verbal aspect is really more, more about... Um, what is the what is the frame of reference for the verb? Is it a verb that is considered to be an incomplete action? Is it a verb that is considered to be an action that occurs in the past but has present consequence? All of the verbs in this passage, as far as I can see and remember, all of the verbs in this are in the aorist, which is the most complete right. tense there is. So aorist is like 
often translated as simple past. It's really hard to translate this passage in a way that uh, reflects a simple past time frame. It would be something like, therefore, you took up the whole armor of God, or therefore, somehow making it a command, have, have, uh, have taken up, commanded you. Like, it's almost hard to express. Reality, the reality of the way that this passage is phrased, this is almost like what we talk about when we say like the prophetic perfect. Sometimes Paul uses what we call the prophetic perfect, where he's using the perfect tense in order to sort of like show that the outcome is complete, where we see this in Romans 8, right? Instead of saying like those he justified, he's using, in in some sense, he's using this past tense language to demonstrate that the future tense is so sure, the future frame is so sure, that it's almost as though it was past tense. That same kind of thing is happening here. Take up the whole armor of God is a as an aorist command. It's conceptualized not in like this process that you go through or that you're going through. Take up the armor of God is a command that is so complete that it's in the aorist tense. And that's the right. same thing with like you may be able to withstand in the evil day. This is a foregone conclusion in the text. If yes, you take up exactly. the armor of God, which you have, then you're you are going to be able to withstand for sure. And then it says, having done all to stand firm. All of those are are in the aorist tense. And one of the things that tells us, and I think this is so important for this passage, because I do think sometimes this passage can become almost like an overwhelming burden of like, am I taking up the armor of God well enough today? Or should I just like hide in my bedroom away from the devil because I haven't taken up the armor of God well enough? The fact of the matter is that when you came to Christ and the spirit dwells within you and you put on Christ, that's what conversion is. You put on Christ in that act. You've already put on the full armor of God. In a very real sense, Christ is the full armor of God for us. We're going to get into that, I know, as we go through the different items, how how that represents us actually putting on Christ is going to be a central theme. Jesse and I haven't talked about it. I just know I know us well enough that it's going to be a central theme. I know our theology well enough. But, but that's important to remember with this text is we're not talking about something that you have to do in the future or that you have to work about doing now. If you are a Christian... Although there is an element of the subjective experience of this and whether we uh, whether we subjectively experience the benefits of the whole armor of God, the reality is that you already have taken up the whole armor of God. That's a foregone conclusion. Right. And because it's a foregone conclusion that you've taken up the armor of God, it's likewise a foregone conclusion that you will stand firm until the end and that you will withstand in the evil day. Yeah, to put on the armor of God is to recognize that all genuine Christians have put on the armor of God and that God sustains that armor. You beat me to it. I was already on those three words. It is putting on Christ. Maybe that's like the best encapsulation of what we're talking about here. I think sometimes there's a sense in which we mystify all these elements. And as I joked at like the top of this conversation, sometimes like even having like a physical representation of these things can be like a red herring because really this is a matter of understanding that Christ has given you all the benefits and the power that are due him by translation, by giving you all the rights, responsibilities, every spiritual blessing and gift in the heavenly realm. Part of that is manifest in this armor. And it struck me as you're saying that, that Paul has done a really good job, of course, in his own writing of 
even interpreting what he means there, I think, by saying like this day of evil. So for instance, he writes to the church in Rome, this is chapter 13, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So you're right there. You see like the, I think this armor that's putting on a Christ is both like the protection from the sinful self, the natural disposition to be destructive and to embrace sin and to let it cost you more than you want to pay and take you farther than you want to go. And at the same time, the enemy who comes to kill, destroy and steal. So it is like this, this double kind of guarding, but you're right. Like our volitional effort in this is merely to abide in Christ. And so by abiding in Christ, we're putting on Christ and putting on Christ is being equipped in this armor. So therefore the genuine Christian who is always concerned about those things, who is always acting and moving in conjunction with the spirit, who's walking worthy of the calling to which they've received is by default putting this on. In other words, you don't need to worry about like some kind of weird, like subcategories here. We're like, well, I'm abiding enough, or yeah. I don't know, I left, and I'm pretty sure I forgot to put the belt of truth on today. Yeah. Is that going to be a problem for me? So we can get caught up in all these things. We're going to see them as facets of what it means to put on Christ. But who puts Christ on us? Not us, right? Yeah. Like that is the gift that the Holy Spirit gives us. So even that putting on, what, what we keep finding is God does all the verbs. He just lines them up. He does all the verbs. So we should take comfort in that, but also know that that is a genuine manifestation of the Christian. The Christian, the true Christian, is equipped in the armor of God. And so we read this as a passage that reads us back and helps us to ascertain whether or not, as Paul said, test to see whether or not you're in the faith. One of the ways you can do that is by questioning yourself. Have you put on this armor that Paul talks about? How do you do that? Christ puts it on you by being saved by through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just want to read this. This is from um, Calvin's commentary, and I, I think actually maybe we'll close with this, at least in terms of our our main discussion here, because this is just such a fire statement. Like this is such a fire explanation of this. He says, uh, commenting on verse thirteen here, he says, "By this expression, he's referring specifically to um, the passage here. He says, by this expression, he rouses them from security." bids them prepare themselves for hard, painful, and dangerous conflict, and at the same time animates them with the hope of victory. For amidst the greatest dangers, they will be safe. Thus, they are to, uh, directed to cherish confidence through the whole course of life. And th- this last part here is just, um, just, if I could write one sentence this well in my life, I would be in good shape. There will be no danger which they may not be successfully met by the power of God, nor will any who with this assistance fight against Satan fail in the day of battle. Like when we put on the armor of God in conversion, in trusting in Christ, that's the key here. We don't put on the armor of God in our daily lives as some sort of like ritual before we leave for work or like I know, I know parents. Uh, I have friends in in like middle school and high school who had this whole like ritual where they would like pretend to put on armor on their kids when they went off to school, and th- there's some instructive value in that to like bring it to their minds. But at the end of the day, the Christian put on Christ in their conversion when when the Spirit came to dwell within them and Christ uh, began to intercede on their behalf. That that was when the armor of God was applied to them and put on them. There is no hope of loss 
There's no, uh, there's no chance of loss for the Christian. We will never be not justified. We will never fail to be sanctified uh, in the in the battle and to to reach victory in that sanctification, right? Because it's not us that's doing it; it's God that's doing it. God is the one who justifies. He's the one that sanctifies. He is the one that brings the victory, and that's why when we bring with us to this fight, we bring with us the armor of God, who is Christ Jesus applied to us. The benefits of Christ's death and resurrection applied to us is the armor of God. When we bring that to the battle, we will never fail in that day of battle. And to me, that's just a beautiful promise that this passage has. I know in my own experience of having this taught and preached in various ways, that promise was never brought to the forefront. That was never, I don't remember a sermon that I've ever heard or a teaching on this passage that wasn't about how do we apply the specific belt of truth? What does that mean? You know, how do you use that to overcome the challenges that you're facing? It was never brought back to the fact that Christ is the armor of God and he's the one that protects us. Yeah, I think that's a really instructive and encouraging word because whereas I I get this example, like you're saying of like a parent's miming that this armor is going on. I think the instructive nature of that is being cognizant that in fact, Christ has equipped us. Yes. So when he, when Paul, again, elsewhere, Paul is just all over this episode, as always, like says that you've been equipped for every good work. Part of that equipping is, again, what God does to furnish you, to make you prepared. He doesn't send you out into the world totally exposed and vulnerable, as it were, but with, as an emissary, as his emissary, with all the power and the protection that you need. But that protection isn't meant to just, like you said, sit back and say, well, when the enemy comes after me, I'll just be sitting pretty. I'll be totally fine. It's to say like, this is equipment that is made for you to walk out into the midst of dangerous situations, knowing that in Christ, you will have complete victory over those things. Yeah. It is his full power that goes with you. And it's lovely that Paul gives us here, especially in the context in which he's writing, this really exemplified language of what it looks like to have all these things. So that somebody reading this would say, you know, as a person who has like no military experience or who is poor, who couldn't even afford to do all these things, I have all this equipment and it makes me feel as though I am actually able to do the business that God has given me to do. And that's exactly the point that you are because Christ has made you fully equipped. And we see that in the means of grace and the Lord's Supper and in baptism, like all these things remind us of what it means to put on Christ. And one of the ways that we can think about putting on Christ is all of this armor because who doesn't want to go through life and be protected, be safe and secure, be able to go into difficult, dangerous, challenging situations and to know and to move into those situations with bravery and courage, knowing that you're thoroughly equipped to be exactly in that spot and to know that it's, you've been equipped not by somebody like you haven't fashioned these tools yourself, but they've been fashioned with a greater hand with something that's in someone that's transcendent and who is able to bestow upon you this kind of impervious armor so that you go out and in many ways, especially spiritually, you are invincible. And though while you may be attacked, that again, as we get into like the specific nuances of all this armor, like let the arrows fly as they will, you will be totally protected. So you're right. Of course, Calvin always gets it right. And he says it so incredibly eloquently, but I hope like this, as we talk about this, Tony, like people will then, as we discuss it further, 
start to consider all of these elements in light of what it means to put on Christ. Now, what we're really going to see in all these elements are characteristics of our Lord and Savior, our first brother who goes before us, but then essentially like has secured this armor, like fashioned it himself, tested it himself, found himself within it to be jubilant and victorious. And then maybe to use your example, he, like the parent who pantomimes it, he takes it off himself and puts it on us. Yeah. And so we're actually, it's not like it's new armor that's not battle tested. It's the one that Christ himself wore and he gives it to all his children. Yeah. And he says, go out into the evil day, knowing that the evil day will not prevail against you. So, yeah. I mean, that's like some great, like wall busting. <laughs> I was just through, say like, the same thing. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm ready to run through a wall. <laughs> so with my God, I can, I can, uh, run against a troop or whatever the, the phrase is. Yeah, well, I, well, I expect to see that on your website when you get to that passage. Yeah. It's in, in the Hebrew, I think. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think this is a good spot to end. It, I'm just really excited to now, now that we've like reframed the conversation away from like, what does it mean to be righteous in your daily life? Like, what does it yeah, mean to be righteous right. when like you do your taxes? Like those are, those are fine questions. I'm not trying to bag on those questions too much, but like this passage is so much more foundational about what does it mean to be a Christian and to overcome, yes. uh, overcome and withstand and resist right. and to take action against the evil one in the evil day. I'm really excited to get into the next, uh, next several episodes as we talk about the individual elements of this armor, what they mean and how, how does it actually come to bear in the life of a Christian that we have victory over uh, sin, death, and the devil because of what Christ has done for us and because of what, what Christ has put on us. So yeah. I think this is a good a place to wrap it up as any. Um, you know, there are always ways to get in touch with us. The best way to get in touch with us is the Telegram chat. You can go to uh, t.me slash Reform Brotherhood. Uh, you can lurk in there for a while if you want to just check it out. Uh, but probably the friendliest group of people that I've run into on the internet. All the stuff I said about social media earlier doesn't apply here. It's not really even social media. Um, people are friendly. Uh, we had a little bit of a spat <laughs> last night and it was a very simple thing to say, Hey, can we just turn the rhetoric? Can we just turn the temperature on this rhetoric down a little bit? And people were like, yeah, sure. Great. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just take a break and we'll come <laughs> back to it. Like nobody was like, I'm going to continue on this. Everyone was totally chill Everybody was happy to say, let's just take a break from this conversation. Um, I can think of specific times in the past where it was pretty clear that there was one person who had like a different opinion than everyone else. And when that happens, like a lot of times it's like a gang beating uh, and, and people actually will step forward and be like, Hey, it seems like maybe you feel like you're a little bit outnumbered. So we're just going to give you a little break for a while. Right. You don't see that other places. So I think that's the best way to get in touch with us. There's a place there where you can share your topic suggestions. This series came out of a topic suggestion. Um, we're also working through um, kind of informally. We have a group of guys. I think it's just the guys. There's probably, you know, not that there aren't any women that would do this, but I don't think there are any currently. Uh, we're working through Reform Systematic Theology Volume 1 by Joel Beakey. So we're, it's not like a formal reading group. We're not having like a schedule or anything, but as people read through that text. They're asking questions. They're bringing up their reflections. So it's just a really great place to get together on the internet and talk with other like-minded Christians uh, without all of the like venom and vitriol of, of right. traditional social media. Right. I mean, it's it's just a chat group. So that's maybe the main difference. It's not yep. meant to be a place where you put others on blast. It's If you're interested in having a conversation or being a part of witnessing 
I don't know, maybe in kind of a creepy way, like you just want to drive by with your lights off for a little while. You can actually <laughs> do that if you want to decide if it's for you. But I'm with you. I, You know me. People, if they listen for a while, you know me, Tony. Like I was always skeptical about this because even this kind of thing was my jam. I've really been blessed myself. There's lots of like good-natured humor in this too. So it really is fun. It's basically like, hey, if you want to get to know or just find other people in the world that are also like listening and tracking with our conversations and then interact with those people and us as well, you can just go do that through Telegram. Just a little friendly chat to brighten your day as you go about your place in this world. Yeah. Well, I hope we'll see you in the Telegram chat, but if we don't, we'll see you next week on the Reform Brotherhood. And until next time, honor everyone. Love the Brotherhood. <laughs>